Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Hey, instead of telling you to support Canada Land today, I'm going to tell you to go and listen to Commons. They just launched a new season. You know, we're so immersed in stories of cops and robbers from America, American stories of crime all the time. You can get the idea that things are kind of just nice and boring and maybe aren't so bad here. Listen to this season of Commons, all about stories of Canadian policing. The first episode is about Julian Fantino. It is terrific. Go check it out. Aaron Durfell, veteran health reporter, the Montreal Gazette. We heard you last uh, on Commons uh, pandemic season. Welcome to Shortcuts. Glad to be here. Aaron, today we're going to talk about how we cover the uncovered anti-maskers all over the news. Not sure they should be. And we're going to talk about the CBC's inspirational and unmarked ad campaign for Gillette. It's got many unshaven radio hosts and producers in an open, hairy rebellion against uh, the very well-shorn CBC executives. Thank you again for being here. Oh, no, it's my pleasure. All right, this episode of Canada Land Shortcuts is brought to everybody by Christine Rondeau, Kara Pate, Andrew Gilbert, Anthony Crockford, Jan Michaels, Rosie Hardiker, Shazia Khan, and Mark. Hi, this is Mark in Toronto. I support Canada Land because we need to cultivate Canadian public discussion spaces and Canadian media, or the dialogue will be dominated by divisive interests. Canada Land provides a great perspective on all of our Canadian media and all of our diverse channels, and so I ask you also to support Canada Land. They gathered at the Vancouver Art Gallery this afternoon to protest mandatory mask requirements and physical distancing measures. The BPD says the crowd grew to about 700 people. So far, they report no major issues. A man charged earlier this week in Toronto for breaking federal COVID quarantine rules has also been arrested after flying to Moncton Friday. And he's been participating in several anti-mask events in Toronto and was supposed to attend one in Halifax tomorrow. An anti-mask rally held here at Young and Dundas Square. Police say there were 500 people at that rally without masks on. 
The government's sanitary measures are infringing in their personal rights, and they are too harsh. They also call vaccines, quote, a threat to our cellular integrity. Now, the McGill University's Office for Science and Society has the mission of separating sense and nonsense, and its director, Dr. Joe Schwartz, says it's hard to convince people who believe in conspiracy theories of the evidence. Erin, I'm not sure if you've seen this coverage. It's been kind of picking up steam here in Toronto and across the country of these rallies by anti-maskers. Shortcuts producer Tiffany Lamb happened to be there. Protest occurred not far from where she lives, and she was snapping pictures of these protesters. And what she saw in terms of who was there was strange and interesting. It wasn't just like anti-mask. There was a, a strange assemblage, a uh, political thrust. There were flat earthers there. There were people wearing Trump masks. There were people who were very concerned about 5G internet. There were people who were waving the QAnon flag. There was a lot of people saying how much they love the police. I don't claim to fully understand who is gathering under the big tent of no masks, but I am noting that the media has been increasingly paying attention to this. 50 people show up in Nanaimo, and that gets covered by the Nanaimo Bulletin. Global News covering aspects of this story in Montreal and elsewhere. I'm curious as a health reporter what you make of the coverage of this anti-mask movement. Well, I'm glad that you asked that question. Uh, here in Montreal, we had the same thing. These are our strange bedfellows. You have evangelicals, you have ultra-right-wingers, you have libertarians, you have COVID denialists, a ragtag assembly of people, and yes, people who are supporters of Donald Trump. And in Montreal recently, there was a very, very big march, and people, believe it or not, in Montreal were chanting USA, USA, USA. So it's quite surreal. The problem I have with this coverage is I don't think as journalists we should indulge in this form of false equivalency and, you know, interview these, I guess you could call them yahoos, and get their quotes and then, you know, speak to experts and get their quotes. You know, these are people who are trafficking in conspiracy theories and denial. And so we should report on what's going on almost as if it were a sociological phenomenon and ask questions as to what might be motivating them. You know, there's this Barrington Declaration that came out in the United States and um, there's some reports that the Koch brothers, one of their PR firms, appears to be funding this. This is a declaration by some scientists who are endorsing herd immunity. So you have this not so subterranean strain or a subculture, if you will, of people who really don't have much in common except for their um, taste for conspiracy and controversy and their distrust of the deep state, if you will. And so they found in the latest public health restrictions something that they could rally against. And it's just a bizarre movement. And as I said, when you report on it, it has to be done placing this phenomenon in context. You know, it's interesting. You could have a conversation about what makes a protest newsworthy. There are protests that happen all the time that the media ignores. I, I would argue that the media's default position is to ignore protests. I don't know, like Falun Gong have been protesting every day in this neighborhood in Toronto for years. And there are, are every weekend at Queen's Park, there's tons of protests that, for whatever reason, the media just absolutely doesn't bother with. Now, the decision to cover protesters is not necessarily an endorsement that they have something valid to say. If a protest of any kind were to like, you know, I don't know, be big enough, if it blocked traffic downtown, if it was just something that people need to know about because it's having some kind of practical impact, I would say it's the role of news to cover that protest. But in this case, I don't think that these protests merit that. 
as you say, they are presented in like some people think you don't need masks and they're protesting. But here's the other side who think, no, they're not equal sides here. I would suggest that the media's interest in this is that the media loves wacky extremists, especially on the right. Uh, I think that there's a lot of dismissiveness for like, oh, what's the next radical communist protest? People are mad about the government for this or that. But when you've got whether it be yellow vests or anti-maskers, there's sort of an endless curiosity of like, whoa, wow, you, you really feel strongly about this. Tell me more about your interesting point of view. And then it gets validated to some extent when you go and then actually have somebody who has substantiation and science behind them to say, well, here's the other side of the story. But we, I don't know, we're having like an internal argument about this. Tiffany, our producer, believes that it is important to cover these people to discredit them. That, uh, you know, the whole kind of ignore them, don't give them oxygen thing. No, it's more important to report on how absurd they are and the public needs to know that. It seems like you land somewhere in the middle as well. You know, clearly I agree with one of the criteria that you set forth that if it's a very small group, I don't see why it should be newsworthy. It should also be pointed out that many of these protesters are anti-news media as well. So... Uh, yeah. <laughs> so that's something to uh, consider. But, you know, in, in Montreal, at the tail end of the summer, it was a massive protest that went on downtown, uh, attracting several thousands of people. So I, the journalists didn't have any choice but to critique it. Um, my goal is not necessarily to seek to discredit anyone. I want to know what's motivating people, and I want to dig deeper. What are the, the factors behind this movement? And so in my case, I'm focusing on the pandemic in Montreal. So I did have this experience where I retweeted something about a woman in California who was being forcibly removed from a store by another woman, much larger than the woman who wasn't wearing a mask. And then what really surprised me is that within a 24-hour period, I was bombarded, I'm not kidding, with thousands of QAnon trolls. Mm -hmm. And I did, some were bots, some were real humans. And it, it took me hours to mute or delete these trolls. What was it about that story that somehow stumbled into QAnon territory? I think it was it was fertile territory. In retrospect, had I known, I wouldn't have done it. But uh, when you looked at the video, it wasn't like a clear-cut case where you thought that the woman who was not wearing the mask was, was being absolutely absurd. And uh, she was forcibly removed by a larger woman. And the consumer, what the shopper was striking out, but it was not uh, black and white, mm -hmm. so to speak. And, and so you could sympathize a bit with the, uh, with the woman who was uh, expelled from the store. And I think that's what struck a chord with the QAnon types. So, you know, it's all in the eye of the beholder, how you view something. You know, when I viewed it, I, I saw it as someone who was being unreasonable and who was asked to wear a mask in a store and she didn't want to wear the mask in the store and she was kicked out. But it really touched a nerve with the QAnon types, and they just uh, invaded my Twitter feed <laughs> and uh, went on and on and on and on. And uh, it was a, a bit uh, overwhelming to face that kind of uh, onslaught. That was my first inkling of the power of this group of, I don't know how you would describe them. I mean, I don't want to caricature anyone, but... It did give rise, in my mind, to the suspicion about algorithms on social media. Is Twitter being manipulated? Is this algorithms being manipulated as well? So there are all these factors that we're not clear about, you know, who might be funding these groups as social media. Are these algorithms on social media being manipulated to stir up these protests? This is something that we'll find out, I guess, in the coming weeks and coming months. 
But, you know, on the surface of it, it is truly, truly bizarre, right? I mean, I didn't even realize that there were flat earthers, but I likened this group to the flat earthers, right? Groups of people who are always very skeptical uh, about... Um, Truth. About what might be going <laughs> on, and uh, but filtering things through the lens of a conspiracy. And uh, as journalists, in the type of journalism I do, which is an investigative nature... You know, it would be foolish not to have some kind of a mindset that views things in a conspiratorial way. But at the end of the day, you know, I'm basing my reporting on the facts and on the documents and on thorough research, not just purely supposition, which is what I think is happening with these groups who are opposed to like, really, you know, these are not outrageous public health measures just to wear a mask. And we are in the midst of a surge and it's real and it's on, it's happening. So I think that when you cover this stuff, like, yeah, like, you know, <sighs> Like, I don't think we can wash our hands, uh, you know, no pun or um, joke there. Yes, a lot of people watching this will roll their eyes and be like, oh, you know, thanks for informing me. That's a ridiculous movement. I'm, I'm better off for knowing about it. But I think you're also in giving it uh, attention, give, you're giving it further reason to to grow and exist and for people to get together. And I do think that there is kind of like a cumulative effect of after you've read your 10th anti-masker story, some part of your brain, maybe it's just wishful thinking. It's like, I wonder if they're right. Like, this is why people hate us, Aaron. Like on the one hand, we've got like you doing the work that you do and Andre Picard, and there's been a lot of terrific coverage where I think journalists really did understand their responsibility as a vector of information to give people good information. But this has been going on, you know, we're, we're, we're months and months into the pandemic and we've got to fill our pages with something. And that good coverage coexists with like an increasing amount like well what's the next story the anti-maskers get space and so on the one hand we're kind of suggesting to people like oh there's a lot of people out there who think this is all nonsense and then on, we have other coverage like the ctv story here's the headline covid19 can remain infectious on banknotes and other surfaces for weeks holy shit that's terrifying I was under the impression that, you know, the early days when we thought that maybe it was communicable from surfaces, it seems like that's not such a big threat. There are other places where the spreading is occurring. And and here's the story, the headline of which is telling us that, like, if you just, like, hold, like, a $5 bill, you, you know, you can communicate uh, the virus. So then it is left to uh, Isaac Bogosh, who is an infectious diseases physician, to come and correct the media headline and say, in a lab. In a lab, it remains infectious on banknotes and other surfaces for weeks, CTV, not in real world settings, which is a pretty fucking important distinction. And I, I don't think that kind of fear mongering headline from CTV is helping anybody. No, no, you're, you're absolutely right. There's a lot of superficial reporting. I, I'm pretty frustrated with this. Unfortunately, you know, because of cuts, uh, because of the growth of, of uh, Facebook and Google and uh, news organizations are cutting back. So you have fewer and fewer health reporters. And this is a, ultimately a health story. And, and it needed uh, that context. I took a look at that CTV story. It was updated. And I don't know if the updated version included uh, this caveat, uh, precisely what you, know, what you were talking about. You know, the, the clear body of evidence is that fomites, these are communicable surfaces, that this is not really a concern anymore. Uh, so mm -hmm. we did see early in the pandemic, someone like San, Sanjay Gupta, uh, a surgeon and health reporter for CNN, he went to the ridiculous, you know, in retrospect, ridiculous lengths of washing his groceries in, in front of the TV camera. <laughs> uh, but... Um, but now and people uh, were doing that. I, we, I know people who were doing that. They're like, like, what, like, you know, you tell people that they might need to do that. They'll do it. Yeah. Th this was early in, in the first wave. If you recall, I think it was 
perhaps in at the end of March or beginning of April. And I recall myself, I didn't go to those extremes, but I was using hand sanitizer a lot more. And now the, uh, the, the body of evidence, right, is pointing to that this is airborne and even um, aerosolized. So uh, this idea of, of catching COVID from currency, you know, handling a $20 bill or a $15 bill, if you read into the story, they talk about as if the virus is radioactive and it has a half-life. And, and uh, certainly after 28 days, there's like hardly any trace of the virus left for crying out loud. So, you know, part of it is just reporters. This is a standard criticism and a valid criticism of the news media, the mainstream news media, certainly, that were always uh, sensationalizing and that were superficial. But if I had come across that study, and I come across a lot of studies, I'll I'll look at it and uh, I'll just file a mental note, but I won't write a story about it because more and more evidence is emerging that the mode of transmission is airborne. It's not uh, touching uh, currency. And um, I was just flabbergasted when I, when I saw that. This episode is brought to you by AG1. Listen, taking care of your health is not always easy, but it should at least be simple. That is why for months now, I start every day by drinking AG1. I take a scoop of this green powder. I mix it in a canister with water, shake it up, and I drink it. I get hydrated and I get energized and focused and ready to take on the day knowing that I have vitamins, minerals pre and probiotics, and a lot more. These are things that science tells us we need. They are also things that I don't necessarily get every day outside of my AG1. Listen, if there's one product that I'm going to recommend that will help you elevate your health, it's AG1. And that is why I have been partnered up with them for so long. If you want to take ownership of your health, it starts with AG1. Try it now, and you'll get a free welcome kit that includes a shaker bottle, canister, a metal scoop, along with five free travel packs. You'll get a free one-year supply of vitamin D3 and K2 along with your first purchase. Go to drinkag1.com slash CanadaLand. That is drinkag1.com slash CanadaLand. Check it out. Aaron, it's your first time with us here on CanadaLand Shortcuts. What we do is, uh, at this point in the show, try to let people know, I don't know, if there's something in the news that maybe did not get the attention it deserved and needs to be duly noted. I'll show you what I mean, and then I want to hear if you've got one. I want to duly note another update to this, uh, this really concerning situation playing out in southwestern Nova Scotia. An angry mob trapped Mi'kmaq fishermen at a lobster pound. This was 200 non-Indigenous fishermen who feel that the Mi'kmaq lobster fishermen should not be there, that they do not have the right to be fishing, even though it's it's enshrined in law that they, they have uh, the right to make a moderate living. That's actually how it's expressed in law, that they can make a moderate living. And they've, be, they've been exercising that right. Uh, you know, people talk about how the Twitter lynch mob is out to get so-and-so or the cancel culture lynch mob. This was an actual lynch mob, 200 people who were threatening, physically blocking and threatening these two fishermen. And ultimately, two hours later, the RCMP show up. They escorted the Mi'kmaq fishermen out, and they had to do so and leave behind their catch, which they'd spent weeks accumulating, 10 crates of lobster, which were found poisoned, assumedly by this mob, with PVC cement. This is a bad scene, and it's uh, Maureen Gugu of Kukukwes Indigenous News that is delivering this story, as well as APTN. You are not reading about this elsewhere. This is uh, all of the cliches. It's simmering. It's boiling. It's getting violent, and we need to keep an eye on it, and I just wanted to point it out. 
Duly noted. I think that's an extremely important story. What I want to bring up is a trend that I see uh, among some user organizations. I really don't like it when um, you have, say, uh, and, and I, I think, unfortunately, the CBC is, I think, guilty of this. When uh, a news organization has an exclusive story, it's good to credit that news organization and say, look, this was first reported by, I don't know, you know, the Globe and Mail or it's important to contextualize it for that reason, but also to give credit where, where credit's due. And uh, I do recall that, uh, I don't know all the particulars, but I do recall that it was Canada Land who broke the We Charity story. And I think at the time, uh, you weren't given the credit and you should have been given the credit. And and certainly, you know, in my case, recently I... Um, I broke the story about, well, I didn't break the story. I wasn't the first to break the story. So naturally, you know, I, there was a, an outbreak of COVID-19 in a high school, the high school, a private high school had to close. Mm-hmm. Global News beat me to the punch by something like 40 minutes. Yeah. But I, I credited, I, I said, you know, this was first reported by Global yeah. News, you yeah. know, and I think it's important. And what I know from Twitter is that people who are following me, they appreciate that. The public wants that more people in news media should own up to and credit and I do find, at least in Montreal, that often, you know, CBC doesn't do that, and it should credit competing news organizations. Yeah, well, thank you for recognizing that, and good for you. For I mean, you know, it, it, it sucks, especially if you're the one who, like, initially was on the story, and then somebody kind of comes to it late, and then they just get it out before, you know, these dynamics can be frustrating for a journalist. But I think that when you credit the person who breaks it, it doesn't take anything away from you. It actually adds to your credibility and, and, and the weight of your reporting. So... Duly noted, Aaron. Um, and and since you bring up uh, We Charity, I have one last thing to to uh, to note today. Uh, I apologize in advance for what I'm about to say. I would like to duly note the rape of the Kielbergers. Uh, I'm very sorry. That was the original headline of a story that was published on Monday, and somebody immediately objected and said, I I actually am a survivor of rape and there's no metaphorical rape that I want you to be using in your headline. And uh, that headline was quickly retitled the attempted murder of the Kielbergers. (laughs) So there you go. And what this story uh, is, it is a critique and a condemnation of reporting about we charity by Canada land. Uh, It's specifically a condemnation of a story that we haven't published yet. And it is, of course, by Mark Burry, who you may know from various Twitter ads. Mark Burry, who has been writing copiously about uh, the problems that he sees with our reporting on We Charity, he says that he was contacted by Craig Kilberger directly. And uh, Craig got in touch with him to tell him about how stressful all of the media scrutiny of We Charity has been for him over the summer and fall, and also for his wife and his newborn baby. They're under tremendous stress and pressure. That's the attempted murder that Mark Burry is referring to in his headline, that the stress, I guess, is going to kill them. He also says that Craig told him that um, We Charity has been the victim of crazy QAnon conspiracy theories. That jumped out at me because just recently, the prime minister, Justin Trudeau, he recently called the We Scandal a conservative conspiracy theory. So I start to see when messaging starts to align, if in fact Craig Kilberger is saying that to Mark Burry. Anyhow, this attempted murder of the Kilbergers is what Craig Kilberger wanted to say to Mark Burry. And it's all with reference to this coming story that Craig Kilberger told Mark Burry about. And Mark says that Craig actually provided the questions that we sent to We Charity. 
for the story that we haven't published yet. He handed the questions over to Mark Burry, and that's what Mark's writing about, is he's looked at our questions, and now he's got a critique of the story that we haven't run yet. This is a familiar device, by the way, for Mark Burry. Like, during the Duffy trial, Mark Burry had to take the stand because he was covering Mike Duffy as a journalist, but he was also taking money from Mike Duffy to, like, secretly, anonymously clean up Mike Duffy's uh, online reputation, his Wikipedia page, and things like that. And at the time, I remember Mark Burry saying, this media pylon is going to kill poor Mike Duffy. You're all killing Duffy. He's in poor health, and this this is all a big media circus that's going to kill him. So, you know, this kind of histrionic, I think, is, is a... It's a familiar tune. What I want to duly note is not Mark Burry's story, but the fact that after it came out, a ton of tweets, and you talked earlier about algorithmic kind of interference and QAnon stuff. There was a coordinated Twitter campaign that popped up. Hundreds of accounts were spreading Mark Burry's story about Canada Land. This has happened before to us. Tweet after tweet. And, you know, maybe you could say hundreds of people thought it was a good story. They're just sharing it. But what I noted was a lot of these tweets had the same talking points. They kept saying, Canada Land, I hope you get sued into oblivion. Canada Land, you're going to get sued so badly for what you're about to publish. I I can't wait to see you get sued. All of these threats about a story that we haven't run yet. You know, it's unfortunate, but it it comes with the territory that you have these preemptive attacks, you know, before even publication. It's happened to me where, you know, I've received lawyers' letters during my research Mm -hmm. before publication warning me to uh, conduct myself accordingly or to be aware of of the possibility of errors. uh, And I haven't even published anything. What I can say is I I have uh, investigated, this is a story I'm working on, I haven't yet published it. I got sidetracked by the uh, pandemic, so it's been put on hold. But I think that, uh, you know, charities in general deserve to be scrutinized a lot more. Uh, just because they're professing to carry out good causes, uh, I mean, it's precisely because they're professing to carry out good causes that they should be scrutinized. So you do have uh, organizations like, uh, I think, Charity Intelligence Canada that does scrutinize uh, some charities, but they don't. And I and, and working on this, this story about this charity that, again, has professed to do all these great things. I did speak with, with some people at Charity Intelligence Canada, but they can't, uh, they, they, they don't have all the data. And even though the, these charities are obliged by Revenue Canada to uh, make public their income tax uh, filings, sometimes they don't report the data, sometimes there's data that's missing. Uh, so I think that journalistically, it's, uh, it's a field that we should pursue. We hold accountable our government officials, we hold accountable you know, what corporations do, and we should hold accountable what charities do. You know, there were some people who said, oh, come on, this is nothing new. You know, if you think this charity has problems, what, why don't you investigate this charity? Or why isn't anyone looking at this other charity? And my response to that is always, yeah, yeah, that would be good. <laughs> Let's do that too. Somebody should or we will. Duly noted. Aaron, I recently told people on the show about uh, CBC Tandem, this branded sponsored content department of the CBC. And how they were getting into the podcast game and they have a podcast in collaboration with Athabasca University and their executive was saying things that were really, really concerning. Like we're going to leverage the brand, you know, leverage the credibility of the CBC brand to the benefit of these advertisers and we're going to make podcasts for them. And there were all these ways in which the podcasts were kind of like seeping in to kind of look like they're actually CBC editorial And uh, I talked about it on the show. I tweeted angry things about it. And then word came that CBC had put this on hiatus. 
And for a moment, it looked like, okay, I know what that means in corporate speak. Like, it's dead. Um, they've, they've responded to the public pressure. I may have spoken too soon. What I've learned is that 280 CBC journalists and producers signed a letter, an internal letter, that was sent to the board of directors of the CBC and uh, Catherine Tate, who runs the CBC. And they were demanding that this end. And it's an extraordinary letter. Aaron, can I read to you from this letter? Sure, sure. I'm, I'm very interested okay. in this. You know, the names were redacted, but I do know that this, this includes executive producers of CBC radio shows, some of the marquee hosts. They're trying to handle this internally. They don't want to go public with the, with the names at this point. But, uh, but here's what they actually said. Members of the CBC board, as CBC journalists deeply concerned about the future of our public broadcaster, we respectfully ask you to intervene and put a stop to this CBC tandem project. This form of paid content is emphatically not traditional advertising. This is pretend news, ads that purposely and deceptively masquerade as editorial content. It is dangerous and confusing to audiences, particularly at a time when media credibility is strained in this era of fake news. And because you're dealing with journalists here, they make a, a pretty expansive and exhaustive and well-argued uh, case. And they found things that I didn't even know about. You know, and they're also, it's, it's actually emotional. They say, look, you know, you want to leverage the credibility of, of, the, of our network? It has taken generations of journalists to build that credibility. People have paid for that with their lives, trying to cover stories. It's not something you can sell to your advertising partners. They said there was no internal communication with journalists, consultation with journalists. This didn't go through the CBC's ethics commissioner, didn't go through the director of journalism standards and practices. And, you know, they were assured, well, you know, there's going to be, this is what they always say, there's going to be a church and state um, distinction between what is news editorial and what is sponsored content. Well, these are journalists. They, they investigate things. So they load up the CBC's podcast page and right there next to the journalistic podcasts, right next to Front Burner and CBC Breaking News is this Athabasca University podcast. And you like you can't tell. There's absolutely no indication. That's a quote from the letter. Absolutely no indication it's a paid for product. Then they go further and find some things out that I didn't know about. So there's actually been sponsored content on the CBC's website for years, and Canada Land broke that story. Uh, I believe it was us who broke that story years ago. It's been going on kind of quietly. It's, you know, it's sponsored content. People don't pay that much attention to it. But the CBC journalists paid attention to it, and they found that there was an ad campaign from Gillette. And it was marked sponsored content, sure, as it was kind of like pushing this, um, you know, kind of woke Gillette uh, campaign. Um, that, that, that I think Gillette said, oh, like if we have kind of a, uh, a campaign trying to pick up on progressive politics, let's do it with the CBC. And then a few weeks later on the CBC's Q website, there's an article, meet the Toronto trans artist who stars in the stereotype busting new Gillette ad. And there's no indication that this is sponsored content. And there's no mention that Gillette has a uh, commercial relationship with the CBC. So some of the CBC content pushing Gillette is marked sponsored content, but then this, uh, you know, Q article, no, it's not mentioned at all. So this looks like a complete destruction of whatever wall was promised between church and state. Anyhow, this letter gets sent and um, the CBC journalists uh, are demanding that tandem be put to an end. And word has come back that no, they're not stopping CBC tandem. I don't exactly know what that means. It's possible that they have put the podcast 
uh, wing of CBC tandem on hiatus, as they say, and that's the part that they're going to kill because that's the part that I think is most offensive to uh, CBC radio journalists because that's the content that's going to confuse CBC radios and podcast audience. And I, I, I think that from CBC tandem's point of view, they've probably got tons of like live contracts with various advertisers. They can't just kill the thing and they're making money off of it. They've been making money off of it for years. So exactly where, the, you know, like, like it's now in this like real standoff between some of the top journalists at CBC and um, management. One thing that I've been told by a source is that the CBC management, uh, including the president of the CBC, Catherine Tate, and also the VPs of French and English service, they all come from private media. And and the, and the mm. fear from journalists is that that's where they're going to be pushing the, the CBC. So, like, you know, uh, th- this is they're trying to keep this as an internal family dispute for now. But I, I know the journalists are not satisfied with where this landed. Um, you know, you've got like a retired CBC producer, Talon v- uh, Vartanian. Uh, she's gone public. Um, how does this jive with the mission of a public broadcaster? CBC tandem undermines the work of many generations of journalists, those in the trenches who have built the CBC as a trusted source of news and information. You know, these are very different cultural camps than the CBC. I mean, CBC tandem is run by a guy who, where did he used to work? Adam Owen, we charity. Uh, he used to work at We Charity. I see no conspiracy there. Canada is a small country, but these are not people who come out of journalism or come out of public broadcasting. And and it seems like there's a bit of a burgeoning civil war within the CBC. Kudos to the CBC uh, journalists and producers who are warning the public about this. Uh, or uh, I mean, you you're warning the public about this, but internally they're warning upper management. This is a, a troubling trend. Where I work at Post Media, they've been, you know, pushing sponsored content. And it's a slippery slope because, you know, you know, even during your podcast, when you're clearly telling the listeners this is being sponsored by this outfit, well, you know, there's no manipulation. People know that this is an ad. But I, I do find that this idea of sponsored content, what it tries to do is disguise it. That's what is the most troubling aspect. And I did go uh, online and I looked at this promotional video. I mean, the promotional video that uh, the CBC's put out to sell the idea behind Tandem is the best argument against it. Because when you look at the video, you, you know, it, it appears to be this bucolic panorama of Canada um, interspersed with these bizarre, you know, cuts of products or product placement. It does not work. And I think it's insulting to listeners and viewers to presume that, that they could be manipulated this way and that there should be this firewall. To me, it's just um, a sign of, of desperation, right? All these news organizations are seeking uh, more and more revenue. But the way not to do this is to really sell your name. And it's, it's rather to improve the quality of your journalism. That's the way you do it. Yeah, it, it, it does seem like uh, in certain instances um – a move of desperation, like, you know, and we know that post media is on hard times. And so, and it's done widely, you know, um, it's it, the part that I'm always flagging is that, that it, it does seem to require some element of deception. Why have this stuff in a newspaper? I got no problem with, uh, there being a podcast that is entirely, you know, produced by, by, uh, like as an extended commercial or a brand, you know, put their name on a podcast and kind of shapes the editorial content. We make those, but we make them under a separate imprint because it's that element of deception where why do they want it to be under the logo of a known and trusted news brand? It's, it's to kind of give the suggestion that this is news. There's no other way. Like you could try to make as many rules or walls as you want, but that's, that's the product you're selling is confusing people that this might be news. When it comes to the CBC though, they're getting one, like I think they're getting more money from the government than they've ever gotten. 
So this idea, you know, they had layoffs last week. I know that their advertising revenues are are going down the drain, but you know, it's been years and years where a lot of like their ask as to like we're in dire straits, we can't do the things that we're trying to do with the money we have. There's a a, a question that that brings up, which is like, well, maybe you need to rethink what it is you do. You know, uh, you are getting more money than any media organization to make Canadian media in the entire country, and yet. Like, why isn't that enough to do the news content that everybody wants them to do? Why is it always not enough? It's because they kind of refuse to actually look at some of their very expensive endeavors in, in scripted television and things like that. But, you know, this is actually forcing a fight. Uh, it's, it's forcing a fight right now. Absolutely. It's the least defendable for a public broadcaster that's receiving most of its revenue from the government. I believe the New York Times at one point uh, was pursuing sponsored content. So I, I don't think you could defend this, whether you're a privately owned news organization or publicly owned, but certainly it's even worse when you're publicly owned. And again, it just speaks to the perilous state uh, of the news media. And so once again, the, it raises the issue of the business model and how can all these news organizations be adequately funded. And while we see these huge social media platforms that are not really being accountable or reluctant to be accountable, reaping billions of dollars in profits, uh, I think ultimately what you want is a, a mostly subscriber-based model because that I think is the truest and purest form of funding journalism because then... The, the journalists are only beholden to their subscribers. They're not beholden to anyone. And so they can hold accountable government, business. And I think that would be the preferable model. But, you know, it's a rare thing to, to be able to succeed using that fully subscriber-based model. From your lips to God's ears. Thank you, Aaron. That is your Canada Land Shortcuts for today. You can email me about it at jesse at canadalandshow.com. I read everything you send. We're on Twitter at Canada Land. Aaron, where can people find you and read your work? You could go to montrealgazette.com, uh, but also you could follow me uh, on Twitter. Uh, just type in my name, Aaron Durfell. And uh, actually, I love uh, writing for Twitter now. I'm, I'm writing these daily uh, threads. And we're now in the second wave, so there's been an uptick in interest. And I really, really like the, the feedback that I'm getting from my readers. Yeah, I know that uh, amongst your Twitter followers uh, is the Premier of Quebec, so people uh, follow in, in his footsteps and follow Aaron on Twitter. Our website is canadalandshow.com, where I urge you again to go and check out the new season of Commons. You'll be glad that you did. This episode is produced by Tiffany Lamb. Our managing editor is Andrea Schmidt. Syndication is by CFUV 101.9 FM in Victoria. Visit them online at cfuv.ca. If you like what we do, if you want to support what we do, please go to canadalandshow.com slash join or just click the link in the show notes. Mm-hmm.